Keeping Up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is sponsored by SJL General Contractors. SJL General Contractors is licensed in both Alabama and Tennessee. This family-owned business provides mass grading, storm drainage, sewer and concrete improvement, asphalt paving, erosion control, demolition, and heavy hauling. If you're in need of any of these services, you can contact them at 931 433 4660 that is 931-433-4660. If you'd like to be employed by this family-owned company, three W's and a dot, sjnl.com, www.sjnl.com. Full disclosure. That may be a scary thing to some of you. And it's a little intimidating for me. Full disclosure, I have uh, uh, two very good friends, Bob Denoon and Jason Brightwell, who have offered to do the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure known as The Truth, where they give full disclosure about some of the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, Bob likes to refer to me as the out of control, foul mouth preacher. And Jason teases me about everything from a pseudo infatuation they've created to to everything about my hype full disclosure uh not counting uh, bob and jason's contributions to the matter uh full disclosure is is i'm not a good climber uh, i enjoy climbing i talk about climbing i've written about climbing i've done lots of climbing but but i'm i'm not a good climber uh, in, in the old, old days, rock climbing was path of least resistance. If you had to climb a tree and swing over to the rock, if you had to prop up a ladder, if you had to use sky hooks, climbing was just climb the thing by path of least resistance. As climbing evolved, it began to incorporate, hey, could you climb this route and not use those handholds on the right side, but just do this? Uh, climbing became... Uh, what we call free climbing. Free climbing is when you climb the rock and you don't use anything but the rock to make forward progress. You don't pull on the rope. You don't hang on the hanger. You don't use anything for assistance except your hands, your feet, and the rock. Now, now sport climbing has several variations, uh, several forms. The, the easiest and most popular is a thing called top roping. Uh, top roping is where the rope is at the top either connected to a person who is helping, who is belaying you, or it's either an anchor system at the top and you start on the bottom and you climb toward the anchor. And if you fall, there's no dynamic falling. You don't actually fall down. You just hang in place or you swing side to side. It eliminates what we call a lead fall. Uh, second type of uh, sport climbing would be what you, or second type of uh, free climbing is what you call sport climbing. Sport climbing are when you go to a rock face and you see that somebody has gone in and pre-installed expansion bolts. You'll see like little silver rings uh, spaced out through the rocks. Now, now those are put in using a drill and it's epoxy and these expansion bolts. And, and as you climb to these intermediate places of protection, typically a sport route has no features in the rock that you could put any type of anchor in. And so you, we've created the intermediate protection and, and you have a thing called a quick draw, a, a sewn piece of webbing with a 
non-locking carabiner on one end and a non-locking carabiner on the other. You clip the carabiner into the ring and then you clip your rope through the bottom carabiner. And as you climb, your rope drags through these. And then if you fall, the last piece that you put in uh, serves as the thing that will catch you. Um, and, and so if you climb two feet above an anchor and fall, you get a four foot fall. That's, that's a sport climbing route. And then you can do what's known as trad climbing or traditional climbing. In traditional climbing, you wear a rack with gear on it. And, and the gear is uh, machined pieces of metal. They're called hexes or slopers or stoppers or chocks. Uh, there's a thing called a tri-cam. They even now make these mechanical cams that you squeeze and they fold up and you put them in the rocks. Sometimes you just put a piece of protection over a, uh, a horn or a protrusion of the rock and you build your anchor system as you go up. Now, you're not hanging on these pieces to help you climb. You're putting these pieces in, clipping your rope through them, and then if you fall, as, as you fall past them, they catch you. The ropes are stretchy. There's a lot of dynamic stuff in the system, and you don't come to an abrupt stop, uh, and these are known as lead falls. And, and, and I would have to say that the vast majority of my climbing, at least in the state of Alabama, has all been top roping. Uh, most climbs in Alabama are short enough that you can do a single line and uh, you, can, you can top rope. Uh, probably done more trad climbing than sport climbing. I just, I don't know, just never have liked sport climbing. I uh, felt like if I couldn't climb it uh, with what was available, I didn't need to be on it. That's just kind of a limit for my own uh, level of, of climbing. Uh, but then I've done some sport routes, you know, there's several popular sport routes that I like to do, and sometimes they're good warm-up routes. And, and then again, with the full disclosure, uh, if I lead something, I'm going to lead something about a grade or a grade and a half below what I can actually climb. Um, and that's climb with, with quotation marks. You know, your real hardcore climbers don't believe you've climbed anything unless you've led it. Now, you can top rope a, a piece, you know, and, and practice on it, but until you lead it, it really doesn't count as, as having climbed it. Uh, I'm not in that club. I don't keep score that way. I just like to climb. Uh, but the vast majority of my climbing is top roping, and second to that would be uh, the trad. And, and I probably could trad climb, you know, an eight and maybe some real easy nines. I've actually top roped a couple of tens. The scale goes all the way to 515, and... Uh, you know, outside of a 5'10", or, or, you know, I'm just, that's just not possible for me. But again, full disclosure, I, I don't climb for you. I don't climb for anybody else. You know, I think, what is the famous quote from the guy that did Everest? You know, why did you climb it? And he said, because it's there. Well, in the old days, uh, Jerry Tanner and I used to say, because it's there and you're not. Uh, so I climb for you. I don't climb for anybody else. I climb for my own enjoyment and learning just to enjoy the climb. Learning just to enjoy being outside. Learning just to have the day off to be by yourself or with one or two other people. That's the secret of enjoyment to climbing. It makes me think of uh, a song by Faith Hill. Faith Hill uh, had a song called The Secret of Life. Now, she's a country-western singer, so the, the, the song takes place in a bar. 
but these two guys are at a bar and they're, they're drinking and, and they're talking about life and they're complaining about life. They complain that, that movie stars and football heroes are the ones who have nothing to complain about. They feel like they're losers. They feel like they're on a treadmill. Their lives consist of work and what they do after work. And in one line of the song says, as Marilyn stares down from the wall. But finally, during this conversation, some gentleman named Sam, and I don't know if Sam is a patron, the owner, or the bartender, but he looks up from his paper, and he tells these two guys, the secret of life is there ain't no secret, and you don't get your money back. You see, the secret of life is there ain't no secret. The, the secret of life is that the greatest thrill there is is simply in being being and enjoying being a kid while you're a kid. Being a college student while you're a college student. Being a husband or a, a dad or a wife or a friend or a brother or a neighbor while you are doing those things or while you are those things. That's the secret of life. Faith Hill actually says in her song, the secret of life is to try not to hurry, to get up early, and to stay up late. And I would think that, that of, of all people, those of us with a worldview of Christianity would understand that, that the secret of life is simply in, in living, and that every single day that you're alive is an adventure. It's an adventure to, to watch the sun come up or the sun go down. Daryl Pickle has, has often quoted by me when we're standing on that old big pontoon boat about to go shoot fish in the river. We'll watch that orange ball melt into the river. And he'll say, gentlemen, that's a sunset. And there's a limited number of those. Understanding that there's a finite number of sunrises and sunsets and hugs and kisses and hikes and walks and racquetball games and basketball games and sitting on the couch afternoons. Just understanding that every single one of those things is, is an adventure. Not because of what you're doing, but simply because you have been present at the doing. The secret of life is godliness with contentment, resting in the fact that we're not keeping score, we're not trying to be something. We're just allowed to be, and that is something. If I strive to be a, a football hero or a movie star or just a hero, if my definition of who I am is that I have to earn it, find it, make it, or do it in order to be happy, then there will always be something to do or make or find or have, and I'm always chasing it and never enjoying it while I have it. Probably the, 
if there is a secret to there not being a secret, that unsecret would be to change the way you see yourself, change the way you define who you are. Because my definition is not in what I do or what I make or what I have or what I accomplish. But it's a shift in mindset, understanding what I am. See, I, if I have to be the boss or the owner or the manager or in charge, understanding that I'm not the boss, I'm not the manager, I'm not really the owner, and I'm not really in charge. The perspective, and this, this perspective may rub you wrong, but the perspective is see yourself as a sheep. And I'm not talking about in the political sense of that I'm part of the mindless masses. We used to call that a lemming, not a sheep. But it's become popular to do that now. I find it disparaging because really the concept of being a sheep is only in relationship to my relationship with the God Shepherd or God as a shepherd. David, the shepherd, the king, the shepherd king, wrote about this in the very famous 23rd Psalm. Everybody can probably quote, if not some of it, all of it. But what David does when he writes the 23rd Psalm is he he takes a perspective that he didn't know, but it's called mirror neurons. A mirror neuron is this thing that we have uh, the capacity of as primates. Uh, and, and humans are among primates, uh, not from an evolutionary standpoint, but just from a taxonomic standpoint, probably. But they were doing these experiments with macaque monkeys, and they had put probes in their brains and were watching the areas of the brain light up when the monkeys would do various things. And particularly one of the things they were studying is where the brain lit up when they ate these uh, nuts. Well, the scientists all took a break. And I guess one scientist, as scientists probably are our nerds, didn't have any friends. And he's staying in the the break room, and, and the monkeys are there. And uh, they've still got the monkeys hooked up to the probes, and he decides to eat some of the peanuts. So he reaches into the jar, and he starts eating peanuts. And one of these little monkeys is staring at him, and he looks on the monitor in the area of the monkey's brain that lights up when the monkey eats peanuts, lights up while the scientist is eating peanuts. And that's an oversimplistic explanation of it, but it led to the discovery of mirror neurons. And, and that's the capacity for my brain to look at your brain and vicariously share the experience. That's why we can watch football games. That's why we can watch a contest. That's why we can watch a video game. That's why we can play video games. That's why I can see somebody who's sad and feel their sadness. That's why I can see somebody having a good time and have that experience just watching children play. I can put myself in that joyful or sad moment. David writes the 23rd Psalm from the standpoint of a sheep. David doesn't write the standpoint from an accomplished shepherd. He doesn't write it from the standpoint of a master shepherd. He writes it from the standpoint that I'm a sheep and God is my shepherd, my the, my shepherd God. And as the sheep, David knows what sheep need and want and feel. And with all the details left out, it's summed up in this very simple phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
David says that every day I live in the care of the shepherd is a good day. Now he does talk about the valley of the shadow of death and in the presence of his enemies and needing his head anointed with oil, but all of it boils down to the fact that my existence is content because I belong to God. And and if you have a Christian worldview, that, that's it. There's not a secret to being happy. Happiness is in itself the secret once you recognize that we just are. And that regardless of the circumstances, we're still allowed to experience the circumstances. Full disclosure about my rock climbing is, is, is linked to a philosophy that uh, Troy and I share. Uh, Troy Farmer is the guy that I've rock climbed with for the last 20 or something years. Uh, we, we sometimes have differing views on, on life and theology and philosophy. Uh, we were talking the other day uh, somewhat about the futility of some of the things that we're involved in. And I had to share him th- this, the perspective that you know, your definition as a person is significant simply because you get to be a person. I reminded him that for the last 20 years that his friendship to me was very, very significant to me. And that you don't really get to keep score. It's the people that you are significant to get to keep the score. And the secret of life is there ain't no secret. And, and, and part of that is, is in this philosophy that Troy and I actually share. Troy shared the information with me. There's a, a famous uh, ice climber. And I guess using the word famous and ice climber together is like your, your, your quintessential oxymoron. His name is Guy LaSalle. It's spelled Guy, L-A-C-E-L-L-E. He's, he's a French-Canadian. I think he grew up in Quebec. And he's a climbing partner with a guy named Barry Blanchard. Barry's an alpine climber. Uh, Guy is a, an ice climber. And, and although the two styles uh, are complementary, uh, Barry ice climbs and alpine climbs, and Guy only ice climbs. And they were climbing together, and, and Guy was killed several years ago in an avalanche, and, and, and Barry wrote, wrote this article remembering this guy's life. And in this article, there's this quote from this French-Canadian that Troy and I have often used. Uh, And and it it sums up our philosophy of of climbing because we've climbed on days that are too hot. We've climbed on days that are too cold. We've tried to climb on days that are too wet. We've climbed on days when it was too hard. We hiked up Mount Yona for two and a half hours and we got to the top and realized that the vast majority of what was up there was class four or friction climbing and we decided not to climb at all we didn't even get a rope out of the backpack now we climbed on the lower part of mount yona where the rocks were vertical and the rangers do some of their mountaineering stuff and but we hiked all the way to the top of that thing 
prowled around on it, did some scrambling, maybe loosely some, you know, solo stuff on some of the slabs, but really it just wasn't the kind of rock we wanted to be on. And we came back home. It was a very enjoyable day. And, and part of enjoying that day comes from this, this philosophy from a French guy we've never met. I'll read an excerpt from this article. A lone pillar had formed 15 meters to the right of where Guy and I stood anchored to the top of Riptide. The top of the pillar ended in space. It looked like the point of a sword, and it led all the way to the blue glacier above. Strong wind slapped sheets of snow onto us. The storm had matured into a blizzard, and I knew that the avalanche hazard was on the slopes below, and it was escalating. And I suggested bailing. Now, when you suggest bailing, that means you want to turn around from the climb and go back home. That means you want to, to stop the climb. And maybe he suggested it in a way that said it would be nice if we had a better day. But he suggested bailing. Hey, it'd be nice if we had a better day. And this is the response from Guy. It would be nice to have a better day, Bahori. But this is the day that we have. And he said that with a wink. And Barry Blanchard writes, and Troy and I agree that we treasure those words. I don't know how many times we've been somewhere and it's been too hot or too cold or too early or too late or too hard or too wet or too dry. And we just simply look at each other and say, but this is the day we have. And it's probably much more fun when you say it with a French accent. But this Easter day we have. And that's the secret of there not being a secret. You get up today and you live today and you understand that in so doing you've lived in such a way that there is never any unfinished business. You live in such a way that if the tomorrow does not come, there's nothing unfinished. Every sunrise, every sunset, every rainstorm or every rainbow, you look around at the people you're with and you take it all in in a deep breath and you recognize that there is no secret to life, that the secret is, is, is in life itself. This is the day we have. What will you do with it? Today, that's your secret. And you get to live that secret. What will you do with the day you have? And once you decide that, that having the day in and of itself is the treasure, 
then you understand that the secret of life is there's not really a secret. Keeping up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. I am your host, Lonnie Jones. My wife Jackie and I moved to the city of Huntsville in 1986 for me to be a youth and family minister. I have been a minister since 1980. I have served in this community as a police chaplain assigned to a SWAT team since 1992. And I've been in private practice as a licensed professional counselor since 1998. I'm also an adventure educator and an avid outdoorsman. I dabble in rock climbing and I goof around with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Our life has been full of many wonderful experiences and some just outright adventures. I used to write about those things in a little church bulletin article. So now instead of asking you to read those things, we're just going to talk about them in our podcast. And as we talk about them, we're going to talk about the facts. The facts lead to concepts, and the concepts lead to application. One caveat about the facts is, for the most part, we're going to tell you the facts just as they happened. But every now and then, we're going to tell you the way other people have told us they remember it happening with a little bit of embellishment. It's all good, clean fun and for educational purposes. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy Keeping Up with Jones. There are 32 miles of cave passages in Cumberland Cavern. 333 feet underground is the Volcano Room. The Volcano Room is the site for the youth rally known as Erupt. It's an underground youth rally. It's an annual event. It takes place in October. The next Erupt is scheduled for October of 2021. Erupt is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. If you'd like more information, you may contact them at eruptyouthrally at gmail.com. That's eruptyouthrally at gmail.com. Or check out their website for more information. Three W's and a dot. Eruptyouthrally.com www.eruptyouthrally.com